Friends, I got something to tell you this morning. There are not enough songs about God's wrath. Yeah, that's right. I said it. God's wrath. Like, I actually, I don't know too many, so, so I wrote a, a couple. Let's see what you think. Uh, God is a consuming fire. Ah, you sing with hallelujah. Great distress will soon transpire. Hallelujah. That's it. Yeah, I know. It's a little, a little rough. Uh, uh, how about this one? It goes to the run to the Father. Uh, There's a judge we call Jesus. He'll repay everyone for all the evil works that they have done. On the day of judgment, you'll have to give an account for this judge we call Jesus. He's coming and he has kept count. Whoa. <laughs> Though I'm not surprised that we don't have songs that sound like these treasured refrains. Uh, <laughs> It's hard to say them and to sing them. I mean, when even I, a pastor, when I have to read a reading like what was read a minute ago, well done, Laura, um, and at the end of it, I sort of like wince as I say the last few sentences and then say like, this is the gospel of the Lord, which means, for those of you who don't know, we say gospel, that means good news. We finish a sentence like, but uh, the son, whoever disobeys the son will not see life, but must endure God's wrath. This is the gospel of the Lord. I'm like, oh, that doesn't feel like gospel. I mean, and it's not just that one. Let me give you a few. Here we go. Do not be astonished. By the way, these are all words of Jesus, all from the New Testament. Do not be astonished at this. For the hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. This is the gospel of Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Yeah, it's kind of odd. Here's another. I tell you, on the day of judgment, you will have to give an account for every careless word you utter, for by your words you are justified, and by your words you are condemned. Again, the gospel. Uh, for the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what he, for what has been done. This is the gospel of the Lord. Woe to you who are pregnant, to those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress on the earth and wrath against this people. The gospel of the Lord. Oh, let me see. I'm going to read you one more time the one from today. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever disobeys the Son will not see life, but must endure God's wrath. And then Laura said it for us. This is the gospel of the Lord. And we all said, praise to you, O Christ. But I wonder how many of us heard those words and just kind of mentally edited that out. Like I heard all the other things. That last part was sort of like, oh, it's like, a, like I got a little piece of like, I don't know, uh, Oh, like I got a little piece of eggshell in something like, ah, oh, that wasn't great. Just swallow that down and keep moving. Like I'm just, we'll, we'll pretend like that wasn't there. Or maybe you're thinking, yeah, you know, we've been hearing about God being good. In fact, you guys took two weeks on that one, so he must really be good, and that he's trustworthy. And now this condemnation and wrath stuff, man, it, it doesn't really fit pastor. At least I'm not sure how it does. Can we just get back to the things? We'll just keep moving, get back to the good news that sounds like good news, like 
Jesus Christ is risen today. Ah, we know that one. That's a good one. Or how we can run to the Father and fall into grace. We know that one too. And that's all well and good. But we don't get to decide. God is not like Build-A-Bear. Who's, who's been to Build-A-Bear workshop in one of the malls? Anybody? Build-A-Bear? Okay, so you go to the mall and you pay an exorbitant amount of money for a bear. But you get to pick all the pieces. Like, what clothes are they wearing? How does it look? You get to put a little heart inside of it and like write things on it. Very sentimental. Very cool. If you've done that or for your grandkids, good on you. Haven't yet for my kids. Sorry, kids. Uh, God is not like Build-A-Bear in the mall. You don't get to pick the pieces you want. And that's a good thing. Because I don't know how many of us, if we were picking the pieces and putting them together, that we'd say like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll take one that's loving, that's good, gracious, generous, yep, I'll take all those things. One filled with wrath and condemnation, I'll pass. Right? But... He can't be love toward you and the world, at least not the best kind of love, without wrath being part of the picture. For it comes from his holiness, and it's all part of the one thing all together, loving and wrath, and the fact that, that he will condemn. Like here, Romans 11. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God. They're, they're one and the same. They're from the both they're both from the same one. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. God is both kind and severe. You can't have one without the other. And this is actually very good news. It is the action of a God who is holy. And that's our topic for this week. God revealed that, that God is holy. Now, if you were with us last week, you're like, yeah, we talked about this a little bit. And we did. When Jesus was teaching about the Lord's Prayer, and he was, we were learning last week that when he's teaching us those things in the Lord's Prayer, he's not just telling us what we can pray, but saying that we can pray and actually expect these things will happen, and that the God that we're praying to can actually accomplish these things. So when we prayed, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name, in a word we said last week, that this means that the Father is holy or pure, as in unable to sin, unable to do evil or tolerate evil or sin. And this week we dive in a little bit more. Now, I don't necessarily suggest that we start composing songs like I've suggested at the beginning of the service today, but I do hope that in the end you've come to appreciate and embrace what it means that God is holy. So that we don't, it's not just a word that we say in the song. Like, I wonder for how many of you in the song that we just sang, where we said holy I don't know how many times, what picture came to your mind? Or is it one that's sort of filled with like, I don't really know. I hope to fill that up today. Secondly, I hope that we get out of this why this is actually something that we can rejoice in and even sing about. And as we go into this, I want to give you this lens too. These sort of questions that are being answered today are topics that you will cover 
when people that are new to following Jesus or curious about following Jesus or really maybe even have objections to following Jesus are going to ask or push back on against. If you're uh, walking with a child that's getting older and is trying to make sense of the, the flood and, and the destruction and the judges and the things in the Old Testament and, and all of that and a God that's loving and they're like, Mom, Dad, how does this go together? Or Grandma and Grandpa, how does this fit? Same questions that a new follower of Jesus is going to ask. Tell me about that God of the Old Testament. How does he go with the God of the New Testament? Are they the same? The answer is yes. There's only one God, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's actually really good news. Now, reminder, as we get into this thing about God being holy, that means he not only is perfect and perfectly pure, but also that he does not tolerate sin or every evil. Therefore, he's trying to rid the world of it for the good of the world. But so many of us, many struggle to see it this way and end up overplaying it on one side or another, and neither extreme is faithful to the God that Jesus revealed God our Father to be. So let me help you with these two wrong conclusions. The number one, first one is that God is wrathful. Much like as we think back over the, the week of maybe news or headlines you've scrolled through or read or whatever, we tend to remember the things that are bad, big, hard, uh, gruesome even. When people catch some of the Old Testament of a God that's punished and wiped out and sent a flood and, and all those kinds of things, it's fairly easy that someone would conclude without more explanation or helping to connect the dots together that, that God's just mad all the time because the world is bad all the time, so he must be mad all the time at all of these things. That God is just mad. It's a false leap, however, to move to this. God is wrathful or angry, and that being a part of his nature. Like, by nature, God is wrathful. Wrong. Not true. More on that soon. The other extreme is, uh, we'll call it the Build-A-Bear God. My God doesn't do wrath. Like, I'm tired of this angry God narrative. It doesn't fit in the constructs of what I've got. Maybe he, maybe he just gets quiet. He's sort of like a passive-aggressive God. Maybe that's as far as I could, could go, something like that. But let's just, and maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've said this. Let's just talk about Jesus. Only, let's just talk about the God of the New Testament, as if it's different. Or, let's be honest, all the stuff I read at the beginning of the service today, all from the New Testament, all words of Jesus. So we can't actually just talk about Jesus or the things in the New Testament. We just have to talk about some of the things that Jesus said in some of the New Testament if we're going that road. But you end up with this personally selected Build-A-Bear God who's so kind that he doesn't judge never punishes, and doesn't send anybody to hell. He just loves everyone, which sounds great. He just, he just loves everyone, and this is true. He does love everyone. And this sounds incredibly attractive, and it'd be easy to just kind of land over here, but love 
like this is a, a love that, that only says, I love you no matter what. It, let me give you an example. It's, it's like the love of the permissive parent of a promiscuous teenager. So this parent just says, I love you no matter what, no matter what happens. Whether that child is out and on their way to an underage drinking party or is driving home from it afterward, the only response the parent gets is, yeah, uh, yeah I, I still love you and I, I love you no matter what. Which is great. Parents, you should do that. You shouldn't disown your kids because they did uh, something like that. You should say, I love you no matter what. That relationship should stay the same. But they can't be all that we say. Because this only, I love you no matter what, doesn't hold back the child from the hurts that alcohol is going to do on their brain. It doesn't deter the child from hurting themselves or someone else as they drive under the influence. That's the extent of love that only says, I love you no matter what. That's the extent of a Jesus that's only an, I love you no matter what, Jesus. It leaves out the, I love you too much to leave you there. I love you too much to let you continue to hurt yourself or potentially hurt other people. If God doesn't do something to rid us of sin or restrain us from hurting other people, then there's no hope that we'll be protected from the sin that we'll do against ourselves or the sin that others would do to us. In fact, it doesn't add up then, the things of, of the Lord's Prayer that says that we can pray to God that he'll deliver us from evil, that he'll protect us from the evil one if he doesn't do anything about evil and just says, I love you no matter what. No, our God says both, I love you no matter what, and I love you too much to leave you there. And that kind of God sounds way better to me. I don't know about you. I mean, the, the God that just, just says, I love you, that's all warm and fuzzy and sounds good at some level, but regardless of whether you think that's the God you'd like or not, it's neither the one that Jesus reveals that's truly written about and shown in God's word, nor is it truly loving. God is holy, and a holy God does both. Therefore, the wrath of God, his anger at sin and sinfulness actually flows from the love of God. And that's beautiful and good. I think it'd be great if we pause at this point and realize that we shouldn't just be like pointing fingers elsewhere as we look at like those who might just land in the I love you no matter what or let's just talk about Jesus in the New Testament. If I just think about the amount of time that I spend on a teaching that's happened in the New Testament as compared to the old, the amount of time that I've talked about wrath as compared to I've talked about the love of God, even as I think about as I read this text or in my own parenting in my own house, how often I've talked about the wrath and the anger of God as compared to the love of God, it's easy to edit this out, to just move past this, to sort of pretend like it's not there or at least not really address it even though it's in the room. We might not be as obvious as like a Thomas Jefferson who literally, get this, like he would like cut out pages of his Bible so that the pieces that didn't add up with the Jesus that he thought was the real Jesus uh, didn't exist. So he had like a Build-A-Bear Bible that only, like he cut out the miracles and he cut out other things that he's like, nah, Jesus couldn't have done that. It doesn't work. Maybe we haven't gone that far. 
But how often do we just wince when we hear the condemnation or the wrath and just move on to the parts we like, just keep moving, get back to the good news that really sounds like good news. If we do that, we not only miss out on some of the gift that God is giving for us, but I think maybe even more importantly, we miss out on giving the gift that God has put into our hands for the sake of the world, that that people would know that God is working toward justice, that things one day would indeed be fair, that evil would be stopped, that you can have hope that it will be suppressed even in this life and not just in the life that is to come. But to do that, we need to deal with and embrace what Jesus reveals both about the wrath of God and the love of God. And to do that, we need to make sure that we're hearing accurately what the Bible is actually saying about these things. So biblical translation principle uh, for you for today, worth probably writing down. Our human interpretation, our first thought about how to understand a word in Scripture may not be the best one. It's worth asking the question, is this the best way to understand this word? Particularly, we're going to talk today about love and wrath. Now, uh, love, uh, on the one hand, uh, quick to maybe think of, uh, especially when we talk about head over heels love, like God just loves you so much, like to the ends of the earth, to the highest mountain, to the depths of the sea, and all that kind of stuff, and we quickly get to like... Valentine's Day kind of love, even like teen infatuation kind of love. It's just like overflowing of emotion that almost feels irrational and over the top. And God's love for you is over the top, but it's not like that. God's love is agape love, at least the one that's talked about here. The to want and to work toward the good of another. It's an, it's an action-based kind of thing, primarily not an emotion, but rather an action fueled by a relationship. Let me say that again. It's not primarily an emotion, but an action fueled by a relationship. So if you want a picture of the, the love of God, think less about Cupid and, and over the heels of Valentine's Day and think more like a Navy SEAL that's committed to helicopter in and rescue you from wherever you're at. That's agape love. It's... I think... If I can just talk to the guys for a sec here. Uh, I think sometimes when I hear about the love of God for me, of Jesus for me, or the Father for me, this sort of like man-to-man kind of love, I I get a little squeamish. Because it's so easy when I think about love to think about love in terms of like intimacy and even like sexualization of that kind of stuff. And so they're like, I don't have a, I don't have a box for that. It doesn't work for me. And, and even for the ladies out there, like have your father's love for you this way? Like what kind of love is that? I don't know. I don't know if I want this, that we so think of it as like a gushy feeling or, or have overtones of sexuality within it. But if you instead hear it as, and this is what's intended as the, the, the one that Jesus reveals it is a relentless commitment to endure self-sacrifice for the sake of your benefit. Think Navy SEAL. Think fireman. If the the embrace of the father is a little bit more like a fireman coming in and throwing you up over his shoulder and hauling you out of the burning building, that he's carrying you in your arms. It's that kind of embrace. It's the embrace of a Navy SEAL that's going to lay over the top of you so that when the explosion happens, it doesn't hit you. Or he's going to lay on the grenade for you so the explosion never makes it to you. This kind of embrace is the love of our father. Hear love this way. 
so also as it comes to wrath. I want to read to you from uh, Good and Beautiful God by James Bryan Smith. His, his section on the wrath of God is just beautiful. He says, when we hear this word, wrath, we imagine someone in a fit of rage who has lost all reason and control. Wrath is such a strong word that we only use it in extreme cases. In fact, wrath is sort of like a polite way of describing someone who's crossed the line past anger and into rage. And so when we speak of the wrath of God, we might imagine God is like this full, irrational rage, ready to make heads roll because he's so livid. But that's not it. He, he says this, God's love is not a silly, sappy feeling, but rather consistent desire for the good of his people. So also the wrath of God is not crazed rage, but rather a consistent opposition to sin and evil. So we understand wrath of God in this way. In fact, if you, if you look it up in the Anchor Bible Dictionary for, for the wrath of God, you'll understand it's far more like the word pathos rather than passion, and I, I want to give you a quote on that as well. Uh, passion can be understood as emotional convulsion, a loss of self-control. It's not that. Wrath of God is more like pathos, which on the other hand is an act formed with care and intention, the result of determination and decision. God has determined out of his love and care for us to make sure that we are provided for. So one, understand what wrath is. Two, understand that it isn't who God is, it's what God does. That's worth writing down. Wrath isn't what God is, it's what God does. It's, it's not an attribute, but an action of God. Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, if sin doesn't exist, God doesn't show wrath. It's only an episodic expression of his essential nature, which is his essential nature is, is good and trustworthy and loving. That's what love is. So wrath only comes when there's sin in the picture. If there were no sin, there would be no wrath. It isn't who God is. But God is holy. God is a consuming fire. It says, says that in Hebrew, he's against Hebrews, excuse me, he is against sin. And sin is in you and in me. So in a way, God is against you and me. But it's in the sense that he's like a good cancer doctor where he sees an illness in you and wants to help make you healed from that. I mean, can you imagine having the cancer doctor that's like, hey, you know, we could do chemo on this, but it's really gonna hurt your body and you're gonna feel miserable and uh, we're not even sure if it's really gonna work, so we're not gonna put you through that. Like, that's not the most loving thing you can do. Get this cancer out of me. Like, I want a, I want a cancer doctor that's as passionate about getting rid of cancer as anybody in the world and getting it out of me so that I could be restored and renewed again, and that's the kind of God that we have. He wants us to be restored and renewed from the cancer that's within us, and it's called sin. There's a, a Scottish writer and a preacher, George MacDonald, who preached a sermon uh, about this, God being a consuming fire. And he wrote, uh, his love loves us unto purity. 
that, that God is against my sin because he's for me. That God stands against those desires that are in me because those desires cause my destruction. And let's be honest, the destruction of others too. Would you want it a different way? Which cancer doc do you want? Which God do you want? The Build-A-Bear or the one revealed by Jesus? Because, man, we're inclined to excuse our sins, to rationalize why it's okay this time, to explain, man, I'm weak, I have limited capacity. This isn't God's approach. God's like, look, because your sin hurts you, it hurts me because I love you. That's why he's not neutral on sin. It's why his love is a consuming fire, burning out the impurities within us so that we can be restored to what Adam and Eve once were, perfect, pure, holy, like he is holy. Now, I don't think we should start writing songs like what I wrote at the beginning of the service for today. And I don't think we should either. We shouldn't lead with his wrath and his condemnation we shouldn't explain holiness uh, straight out of the gate. We should sing about his love and his grace at the beginning, at the middle, and again at the end. God's approach in the Old Testament and the New Testament have been that very thing. To lead with love and to follow with correction. I mean, even if you just simply uh, go into, like, think the, the narrative of the, the people of God in the Old Testament in Egypt, do they first get the Ten Commandments and once they get it right for a while, then they're allowed out? No. He says, let me get you out of there. Let me get you through the Red Sea. Let me put you on dry ground on the opposite side. Let me provide for you every day, and then I'll give you the Ten Commandments. Then I'll lead you in, into a life. Then I'll provide the correction that's needed. Then I'll tell you, I love you too much to leave you there. Our God's approach has always been, and I love you no matter what first, and a following up with, I love you too much to leave you there later, but not never, because that's how most of us need it. In fact, I think it's how everybody needs it. I need to know that I'm loved unconditionally before I can hear, I love you too much to leave you there. So keep on singing and starting with, and with love and grace, because you won't be able to address your sinfulness. Let God address your sinfulness effectively, unless that's where you begin and where you end. But when you do, when the Spirit leads you to begin to embrace God's holiness for you, that is just as much a part of His love and His grace, and more and more you get to embrace what you the whole of the world needs and desperately longs for. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen.